Well, it's so great to be with you. Um, if you would, let's, let's pray before we get started, and, and then we'll have some fun. Uh, God, as we were singing this morning, I'm just I, thinking about um, these ideas, these truths, that, that you are a God who saves, and that uh, to be a God who saves, there needs to be a, an awakening that happens in each of us. Uh, and for that awakening to happen, in each of us, one of the things that we need to confront is the fear that's inside of us, a fear of letting go, a fear of allowing you to have control and, and allowing you to speak into our life, uh, to rescue us out of slavery. And so, Lord, even this morning, uh, help us uh, to remember this as we move forward. Help, help us move forward as a people who are committed to an idea that's bigger than ourselves, um, to a God who loves us dearly. And we pray all this for your glory. Amen. Well, I, um, I know that you've been in a series for some time called the, the Gospel in the Last Place that You Would Intend to Find It. And it, it's been a fantastic series. Actually, Laura and I, uh, though we're, we're in Colorado, we listen to the podcast every week. Um, in fact, Laura goes and she walks our Great Dane every Monday morning. She waits for the app to download so that she can go and listen to Jeff's message. And, and so, um, although we're not exactly in that series, we're going to tangentially be around that. And so we're going to look at Exodus 15 as a framework this morning. And I've actually asked Ruth Ann Bartelheim to come and read the passage for us. So if you have, have a Bible in front of you, pulled up on an app, and we're going to look at Exodus 15. And uh, go from there. You ready? This is a song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his, and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piles up. The surging water stood stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. 
When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Very well. Thank, Thank you. you. So we chose this passage specifically because it's, it's, it's been within the context of what you've been studying. You've been studying the Exodus and, and God leading people out of slavery. One of the statements that Jeff has said repeatedly is that in an instant, God can take slavery or take people out of slavery, but it takes what? Yeah, a process to get slavery out of a people. And uh, really was intrigued by that. I was kind of following along. And I was really intrigued that Jeff skipped this chapter. So did you notice that? He jumped straight from chapter 14 and then went on to 16, which was a total failure on his part. <laughs> because there's some, there's some amazing stuff in this chapter that uh, at first glance you might just discount. But uh, a, a little another look, we might find some really interesting things, specifically around this idea that uh, when you have a, an event in your life that transpires, and how, how do you respond to it? And what I'm specifically talking about, the types of events, are what um, those who study narrative, uh, narratives and story construction would call an inciting event. So an inciting event is, is the point in a story where there's something that takes place that then sets the stage for the character to either become the hero, to become the antagonist, to completely fail, right? There's this event. In our lives, these inciting events take all types of shapes. Um, they can take the shape through failure. They can take the shape through a loss, uh, whether of a relationship, a job, a position, of resources, uh, loss of a family member. They, there are these, these moments where the stakes are really high. And the opportunity there is, is, is in how we respond to that. And what we're going to look at right here through Exodus 15 is a, what I believe is a framework to help us uh, grasp everything that could be grasped out of these moments. Because the worst thing that would happen in an inciting event or some, some big moment in our life is for it to happen and we completely miss the opportunity for growth. Right? Like, and we know people like this, that, that they, they have some, something that rocks their world, and then, then later on, they struggle. And we're, we're going to see that in the passage. But, but the first observation that I have about uh, the Exodus, specifically in this passage, is that um, when did the Bible become a musical? <laughs> right? Like, they're, <laughs> they're you know, coming from Egypt, they go through the Red Sea, and now we break into song, which everyone apparently knows. Because um, they're all singing the song of Moses. But they're singing a song. Now, something that strikes me about this is especially when we have these events in our life. Um, have, you ever, have you ever noticed? So s- someone meets, meets tragedy. Somebody meets difficulty. And there's this moment of crystal clarity on what they should do next. Right? I, I remember reading stories in New York Magazine after 9-11 about how the city changed in an instant. Like all of a sudden, what everyone cared about didn't matter, and, and it was not the New York that people knew, right? So there was, this, there was this moment that brought clarity where people knew what was important. And, and what I want to look at this, as we look at this song and these statements, as you heard Ruth Ann read these, these are statements of clarity 
about who God is as he has miraculously brought them out of slavery. Right? I mean, let's, let's think about this for a second. You are up against a ocean. There is an army pursuing you. You are completely ill-equipped to deal with this army. There are millions of you. All of a sudden, the water is parted. You go through on dry land. The water closes on top of them, and then you're left. Okay, I'm not seeing... That's some crazy stuff, you know? Like, that, that's the kind of stuff where you're just like, I, I don't know how you, you, you reconcile with that. I mean, that would feel, feel like there would be reverberations for some time, at least for this song. Well, and as we'll find in the passage, it lasted about three days. <laughs> Wonderful. So here, here's kind of my first point, is that when there's an, an inciting event in our life, it's very helpful to be aware of how we're responding to the event. Because we can be completely unaware, but, but the first key to, as I believe, to dealing um, or getting all that you can out of these events when they happen in your life is to be aware of how you're responding. So at first, the Israelites respond really, really well, right? They have clarity. They, 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 they recognize that it wasn't them. It was all God. But, there's a but, the next thing that happens to them is they come to another place. So um, for the rest of this morning, I, I, I want to look at, we're going to kind of go through three areas so you'll know kind of where we are in, this, in, in the message. So first is we're looking at this song, which we've kind of looked at the song. Next, I want to look at bitterness. And then I want to look at springs and palm trees. Okay? So just so you know, that's the table of contents. And we'll be done in about three hours. So the song, so they have the song, they have the clarity. The next place that they go to, so if you look at Exodus fifteen twenty two, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its waters because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord God who heals you. Now, interestingly enough, that. This place that they come to, Mara, it, it was given the name Mara. Mara shows up another place in the scripture. Anybody remember where Mara shows up in the scripture? Oh, they didn't tell you that this was interactive? I'm sorry. Book of Ruth. Yes, and what happens to Ruth in, in the book of Ruth? Right, so Ruth has a mother-in-law named Naomi who experiences great loss. Right? She, she experiences the death of her husband and both of her sons. So she's left with her daughter-in-laws, and she comes back to a land, and she changes her name from Naomi to Mara. She basically says, all that I am is bitterness, because that, that's who I am anymore. So when they come to this spring, and they find that they can't drink the water, it's not that the spring was called bitterness, it's just that is the attitude of the people after they've 
come after three days of not having water, and they finally find water, and now they can't drink it. Which we get that, right? I mean, like, that makes sense. That tension. What doesn't make sense is that three days earlier, what was going down? Like the most miraculous rescue operation in all of human history happens, right? Like they see this thing, and then three days, it, three days later, they've already lost the perspective. It seems surprising, but at the same time, I don't think it is. And, and here's why. Because as humans, I think the path to bitterness is an easy and natural path. Right? It's, it's really easy. It's really easy to lose perspective. Um, unfortunately, once we go down that path, the remedies are limited. Um, most often, the remedy is supernatural. So, for example, um, in he- you don't have to turn here, but in Hebrews chapter 12 Uh, The writer says that see see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Basically, that the supernatural grace of God is the thing that can counter bitterness that rises up in us. But the natural path for us is to lose perspective and just run to bitterness. And and the the reason why is because we feel out of control and we also fall to what is called attribution error. So... um, in, in, in the line of work that I do now, so I, I, I was a pastor for many years. Uh, now I, I sort of pastor, but what I do is I, I work with uh, leaders and teams and businesses and organizations and nonprofits. And um, one, of the, one of the things that happens is we'll have a team of people and they are at odds, right? They're sideways with each other. And one of the, the things that we often observe is what we call fundamental attribution error. Uh, fundamental attribution error works like this. It's like if I'm sideways with you, the reason that we're sideways is because of a character issue on your side. Um, but if, if you ask me, it's environmental. Um, so let me better illustrate the story. So there's a, there's a train heading from Buffalo to New York. Okay? And there's a father with three kids on the train. And they're, they're on the train. And there are people around them in, in the car. And these kids are running amok. Like they're running all over the place. Like jumping on chairs. Uh, hitting each other, being loud. And as you can imagine, the people around them are getting really, really upset and annoyed at this, right? To the point where, where somebody finally says, like, hey, buddy, do you think you could rein your kids in a little bit? Like, it's really rude, right? Which we get it because we're looking at this guy like, how could this guy be so rude as to not be aware of the people around him and rein his kids in? Um, so it, there's this character issue with this guy, right? Well, then... The guy says, you know what, I, I, I hear you, I really wish I could. Um, we're actually on the train back because we were on uh, a visit to some family and we lost the kid's mother. She died. And I don't really know what I'm going to do now. Okay, what just happened? Like the perspective changed. Now the person who said, hey buddy, get your kids in line, is the, is the moron. Right? But this, this happens all the time. We, this, this fundamental attribution error, it's, it's, if we get sideways and something doesn't go our way, then the person that we're sideways with, it's a character defect. But if you're upset with me, it's not a character defect on my part. It's an environmental issue. Right? It's the circumstances that led me to, to act the way that I am. Right? We do the same thing with God. So like when the, when the Israelites go to this place of water and it says that they grumble, they're actually... Like hurling 
complaints at God, and it's a character issue at God. They're like, not that maybe God's trying to teach them anything or help them understand anything or lead them to a, a new level or perspective. It's just God's wrong. And, you know, God, our, can't you understand our, the position that we're in? So, right? It's from environmental perspective for the Israelites because they're just thirsty. And if God won't meet that, well, then it's, he's not a good God. Well, God's, God's about to show them that actually he can do something. So, so what does he do when they say that they're thirsty and they are at this place where they can't drink it? What's that? Th- yeah, throws, throws a wood into the water because that fixes water. <laughs> well, I, I can't. Anybody does that? I don't know. I've never heard of that happening. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I think what this does is this illustrates the point that once you've gone to a place of bitterness, is that really one of the only ways out of that is something supernatural that happens. And in this case, it's that God tells Moses, look, um, I'm going to show them something so absurd again that doesn't, shouldn't make sense, but yet will make sense when they are able to drink the water. So they're still struggling. So that's this idea of bitterness. So now uh, part three, springs and palms. So this is the last verse of the chapter, by the way. Two hours, 45 minutes to go. It says in verse 27, it says, They came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and there they camped near the water. Okay. And then it goes to chapter 16. Now, I looked at another passage in Numbers 33, and it says... uh, I think we have this one. Uh, it says that the Israelites left Ramses and camped at Succoth. They left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. They left Etham, turned back to Pi-Haroth, to the east of Baal-Zephon, and camped near Migdal. They left, da 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 And then it says, then they left Marah and went to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there. They left Elam and camped by the Red Sea. They left the Red Sea and camped the desert. Anybody notice anything interesting? What... Who cares whether there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees? Ha. So there's something going on here in this passage that the writer wants to draw our attention to. So significant it shows up in a number of places in the scripture around these numbers. And it has to do with, this whole passage has to do with this process that, you know, Jeff's alluded to, this idea that God can immediately take somebody out of slavery, but it takes a process to take them out of it. Now, the, the natural path for people, if they, if they lose perspective really quickly, is to go to bitterness. But there's a different path. There is actually a path that you could go that doesn't lead to bitterness and actually can lead to growth and being the person that you're supposed to be. And it's right here. Twelve springs and 70 palm trees. So I was intrigued. I, I mean, at least I knew something was here. I had, I had no idea... Uh, really what it was. I just was like, okay, it's mentioned a number of times in the scripture, and you see the numbers of 12 and 70 that show up in the scriptures quite a bit. Uh, and so I just started digging. So in the, in the Jewish tradition, so the, first of all, Christians were not helpful at all. I'd, I'd read lots of commentaries, and they just say, well, there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees. So that doesn't work. Um, so I started reading some Jewish literature, specifically what are called rabbinical midrashes. So a, a midrash for rabbi is like a commentary 
right? So if you've ever studied the Bible and you, you look for some perspective on how you might interpret a passage, you could pull out a commentary. In the, in the Jewish faith, you have these midrashes, and some of them are so ancient that they actually become types of Scripture because they've been accepted for so long. So I found this midrash that actually addresses this specific passage. And what the rabbi says is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. The rabbi says that the Israelites are on the way to receive Torah. Okay, so Torah is, uh, is, is, a, is a word that's used in a number of ways. Uh, some of you may have learned of it as, as describing uh, the first kind of five books of the Bible, like, or, or, or specifically the Old Testament can be called Torah. It, it's uh, loosely translated and understood as, as the way of God. So they are on the way to receive how they should live, specifically on the way to Mount, Mount Sinai, where they receive the Ten Commandments and the, the quote-unquote law. So it says they're on the way to receive the way of God, and to do that, they must remember that they are part of a tribe and that there are those who have appointed to show them Torah. That's weird. So where does they get, get that, right? Well, so they're part of it because there are 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, okay? And then when you look at Exodus 24, it says that Moses and 70 elders come down after having received the law of God, Torah, way, the way of God. So this is, this is the spot in between them having this inciting event, God, God pulling them out of slavery. Now they're in this process. But to be able to, to actually receive the way of God, what, what was required is that they need these 12 tribes and these 70 elders. They need, they need, they need put in this vacuum, they need a community and they need someone to help them discern a path. Now, think about when you have had an inciting event in your life, how helpful is it to help you have perspective and maintain perspective and actually to, to be protected from bitterness if you have a community of people, if you have a tribe around you and you have someone that's there to help you discern a path forward? I mean, I know, I know in my life that has certainly been the case. Um, even, even in the last year, I, I would describe the last year and a half of my life as the year of suck. <laughs> can, can I say that word? Okay. All right. I don't know. You know, the Midwest, you know, Colorado, we smoke weird things. So it's uh, um, just a little bit of the backstory for, for those, those of you who aren't aware. So I was on staff at, at another church here in town with Jeff Kincaid. Um, and when he was asked to leave, I resigned um, because it, I didn't believe that it was right. Actually, I was trying as a kid. I, you know, I grew up here um, as part of that church my whole life. I didn't feel like I was out of base um, on what was going down and, and really felt like we needed some, someone to say, hey, we need to pay attention to this. And uh, it, it didn't work. And so we left. Um, and we moved to Colorado, which we thought, oh, this is great. And actually... <laughs> So here's the slavery that I was in, is that I had actually believed that if, uh, if I do A and then I do B, then God should do C. Nobody else is like that, right? Right? 
Um, it's, it, I was the quintess, if you've ever studied the, the parable of the two sons, there's the older son and the younger son. So I was the older son. I was, I was compliant and I followed the, the, the will of the father purely as a means to my end, not the father. So how that translated was, it's like, okay, so this is horrible. We're, we're leaving. I'm a, I, there's a job I loved. You know, we loved the, the neighborhood that we lived in. Like there, we didn't want to leave Evansville. In fact, we had re-upped on our commitment to Evansville. We had tried to leave in the past, and we couldn't, and so we'd re-up. And then all of a sudden, this comes crashing down, and so I'm like, okay, so this is hard and painful, so, but we took the high road, so God should make it really easy for us going forward. It was not at all. You know, you move to a new community. I have an identity crisis. I, I had panic attacks. Um, if you look close, my face is broken out, still not cleared up because of the, the, just the stress on my body. And uh, it really even came to a head. I... I started, uh, started one business, uh, was participating in another business. Uh, the business that I started about a year ago from now um, ended in a massive financial failure. Um, the second business I spent six months in, and it didn't go anywhere, and so I actually had to leave to do something else. It was, it, it, I actually heard myself say, so God, you brought us out here to crush us. Is there another spot in the scripture where somebody says that? I thought so too, right? So I, without even knowing, I was at this place that could easily lead to bitterness because like when we left Evansville, it was crystal clear what we were gonna do. We were like, okay, we know exactly what we need to do. You know, we need to protect our family. Uh, we need to, you know, get out of here. We need to get to heal. We're gonna go do these, these things now since this door is closed. It was like razor sharp clarity. And then it just went, poof. it was just hard. It was really hard. But what's helped us see it through that was that we had a, a group of people around us, a tribe, and then we had people who helped us along the way. So now, so now specifically, I want to speak about these two things. Because Christians talk about community a lot. They'll say that you need to be part of community, right? You heard this, right? You need to be part of a group. And they're really bad at telling you why. Like the, the, the best, I often heard this reason, I need to be part of a community or small group because I should be part of a group because it should be part of it. That's the reason why. Um, that's, that's, that's a lousy reason to do anything. You know, if somebody says, you do it, and you say, well, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do, you should, like, should red flag should come up, right? That's an easy way to, hey, what you should do is you should run off a cliff, okay? Why should I do that? Because, okay, oh, okay, you know. Um, what community is so important for is to help us perceive ourselves as we really are, not as we perceive ourselves to be. So, I'll give you an example. One, when we went through this last year, specifically a year ago, where it was just really, really bad, um, a friend of mine turned me on to reading a Franciscan monk. So, this, there's this Franciscan monk, a guy's named Richard Rohr. Um, I had heard about him a little bit, but I was reading him, and he, he talked about this concept of the false self, which I was like, okay, that sounds a little like psychobabble weird. Um, I, I don't know that I'm really into that, but, uh, but I was desperate. So I'm reading, he talks about the false self, and he talks about this other concept called the shadow self, which were, they're not biblical concepts, but, but they were statements to help illustrate a biblical or, or, or true reality. The idea is this, is that you and I we all have a perception of ourselves and how we are in reality, and that's about 3% true. 
all right? Here's how, here's how you know this. Have you ever been around somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years and they're just completely obnoxious? How could that possibly be? They've, they've been in community. I, there are people that have been in you know, supportive fellowships for 30 years, and they are the most obnoxious, non-loving, non-caring, non-compassionate people I know. How the heck could that possibly be reality? And the reality is, is that they see themselves at the false self. So, so this is who they believe they are. So they may actually be doing things to try to change themselves. But here's the thing, because it's not who they really are, they're trying to affect change on something that's not real. So see, how, how well do you think that goes? Not well at all. Like real change happens when we're like clear on who we are. Because if, if, you, if you're not really clear on who you are, then how can you know that the change that is needed is appropriate? So, so there's this shadow, this false self is who we perceive ourselves. And then there's the shadow self is who we really are. And Rohr describes this idea of trying to close this gap, to close the delta so that we know the true self. Because if I know the true self, then whatever I do to try to enact change will be effective. Well, how do you do that? How do you close this gap? Any thoughts? I heard ask other people. Exactly. I don't, I don't know that if Jeff's have spoken it in the service, but I know in the 12-step, I was there Wednesday night, and there was this question that came up that you can ask people, and it says, uh, what is it like on the other side of me? Okay, it's basically asking people for input of, okay, how do, you, how do you really perceive me? Okay, I will tell you right now, that is the scariest question to ever ask anyone ever. In fact, we had a, a community group, and, and I said, hey, this, we're going to ask this question, and people said, I, I don't want to do that. Because they're petrified of what they're going to find out. And here, however, and I, I get that. I get the tension of that question. But, but if, if that is an effective question to help you close this gap, what are we so scared of? Because the reality is if we don't close this gap, we will never be who God intended us to be. Right? We will just continue to try to affect a person who actually doesn't exist, but who we believe exists. And so you, but, but to do that, you need a people who actually care about you who can give you feedback because they, they desire your growth and because you desire to hear it from them. Now, I would actually advocate asking people that don't like you that question. But that, that's step two, <laughs> right? Step one is just asking it with people that are actually for them. And when you ask that question, you have to give them permission and protection to say whatever they're going to say. And then when they ask that, then you can say, okay, so then what's the 20% that you didn't say? <laughs> right? Because we as Christians have isolated ourselves and we are robbing ourselves of true growth and, and learning this way of God because we're petrified of finding out who we really are. And, and the rabbi teaches us in this passage that actually to leverage these inciting events that God just keeps throwing at us because he's trying to turn us into a type of people, we have to be clear on who we are. And, and we need a tribe of people around us to do that and tools like asking these questions, like what's it like on the other side of me to get clarity? Okay, so that's, that's the first part. The second part is to have these, as the 70 palm trees are, the, are those who are, have a way to teach us Torah. So the 70 is these elders that come 
down from the mountain, and they represent, you know, someone who has, who has wisdom to help discern you. So what this looks like when we have these events is, is someone who has been there. Um, how, how many of you have been around someone who has experienced loss or, or even elation, and there's a person who gives input, and it's like, you're like, wow, that is the worst thing to ever say. Remember, audience participation. Because I'm pretty sure the data is about 95%. Right? You're, there are people around here just like completely not helpful. Like when we, when we went through our season of failing, like there were people who just were not helpful at all. And then we had friends around us who had experienced failure at that same degree. It was very helpful. Right? So one of the things to look for is to look for someone who has gone through it. And, and here's the test. Is are they bitter or not? Like if there's someone who's gone through something that you've experienced the same magnitude and they don't have bitterness, probably someone that could give some helpful insight in that. Does that make sense? And that was in one verse. Like you should really give Kincaid a hard time next time. <laughs> like what's the deal? You skip the whole chapter. So, you know, why, why say all this? And in closing would remind us of the point. See, the, the point that we follow Christ, the, the, the reason that we even would show up and be part of a community like this is that we're trying to be a type of people, right? It would, it, just showing up to show up or just, or just participating in a practice like this to just participate is, like there's a lot of other stuff we could spend our time on. But we're actually trying to be a people, a type of people in response to a God who is, in an instant pulled us out of slavery and he's desperately trying to take us through this process. The thing is that we can either participate with him in this process or we can frustrate it. To participate with him in the process, we need a community of people, we need a tribe, and we need to find those who have gone before us, who have been through stuff to help us see a way through. So that's what I ask, I'd ask for all of us, I mean, myself included. I'm, st- I'm still on that path. To say that I'm completely resolved is not. I'm not. I'm, you know, I still got issues. Um, I, th- I, think, I think I'm not bitter anymore, which is good. Uh, but it took supernatural stuff for that to happen. But I, don't, I mean, I don't know where you are, but, but that's a question that I would ask. You know, what, what were the inciting events that have happened in your life? Where have you experienced loss? Where have you experienced massive success? You know, because it, it goes the either way that you can lose perspective and even be bitter when you had success and all of a sudden you don't have success, Right? Because we're trying to be a type of people, and who are those people to be? So who, who's the community around you? Do you actually have real community? Could you ask someone that question? Are you petrified of the answer? If you're petrified of the answer, you're probably the most best candidate to ask that question. Because that means that there's a, probably a really big delta between who you believe you are and who you really are. So you need to start asking that question like on the way home. <laughs> Spouses are great <laughs> to ask that question. They give you really good data. But we're trying to be a people, right? Because we're trying to affect a change. We're trying to change a city. And we can't do that if we, if we run around losing perspective and, and having this massive gap between who we think we are and who we really are. Because in the people that we're trying to impact, they see the gap, right? Which is, again, not helpful. So to do that, remember. Remember those songs. Remember the easy path to bitterness. And remember those springs and palms, because they can be helpful. And uh, we will go forward. You pray with me.
God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. We are, we are desiring to be a people who follow the way of God. We're, we're desiring to be a people who actually move the needle forward on pulling the future reality of your kingdom into the present. You know, one day, Lord, we will be with you, and that will be amazing. But until that time, we're trying to pull as much of what that future reality will look like into now. And we can't do that um, if we're given to bitterness or if we miss these moments. Um, and we do need your help. And it's not to say that it's all on us, but we, we do need your help to help us see, to help us have awareness, to help overcome the fear that's in us, um, and to be reminded that you are a God who saves. So, Father, we pray all this for your glory and for your kingdom. And it is in the name of the resurrected Christ, everyone said, amen.